0: And welcome to this Wednesday edition of Back to the Bible We are continuing our series in the book of Colossians Entitled, The True Christian So please, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 5 As a Bible teacher, Dr. John Newfeld, Brings us a message titled That no one may delude you
1: It's easy to become deluded. Here's an example. In the year 1975, John Dean was being interviewed on how the White House got involved in a scandal, one that became known as the Watergate scandal. And for our purposes, you know, it's really not necessary to review the scandal. But a part of the interview with John Dean is key. The interviewer asked Mr. Dean, and by the way, Mr. Dean was on the White House staff. The interviewer asked him, you mean those who made up the stories were believing their own lies And Dean responded, that's right. If you said it often enough, it would become true. That is, a lie once known to be a lie, or at the very least, something that was suspected to have been a lie. When that lie is repeated with certainty over and over again, people believe their own story." And you know, one writer said, when we believe something to be true, even though we previously knew it was a lie, we would end up believing it with absolute conviction, regardless of previous beliefs and regardless of the facts of the matter. Now, I make mention of this because the passage we're about to study today contains a line, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And the reason that line is so important is because once a lie, told through plausible arguments, takes root in the mind. It tends to remain there. We become the victims of delusion and we're unable to rescue ourselves. Delusion leads nations to go to war and to hate others. Delusion causes people to make bad decisions that ruin their lives. Delusion has caused many to reject the gospel and delusion has caused many to accept a heretical view of the Christian faith and become resistant to the truth. The thing about delusion is not because it's possible to be fooled, but with strong delusions, those delusions become firmly implanted in the mind that no evidence in the future can make a difference. Delusions don't last a week and a half. They last a lifetime. And hence the warning not to be deluded is a warning to resist the power of delusion. You think it's not true what I've just said? It is think of all the people who follow the fraudulent so-called faith teachers who claim healing over all manner of sicknesses and yet study after study shows that there are no verified healings among them and yet in spite of their deceptions deceptions that have been exposed not once but multiple times their followers continue to believe in them their delusion is so complete that no evidence to the contrary will ever convince them it's called delusion. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul moves from the discussion of the truth of the gospel and the truth of the supremacy of Christ to now in chapter 2, to the matter of the error that seeks to capture the hearts of many believers in that church. So let's read today's passage, Colossians 2, 1 to 5. For though I am absent in body yet, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So let's begin our study. Verse 1 actually follows the last verse of chapter 1 almost seamlessly. You know, Colossians chapter 1, 29 to 2 verse 1. Let's just get a sense of the thing. Verse 29, for this, and this refers to working to present everyone mature in Christ, so for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. See, Paul begins this passage by saying how invested he is in the Christian growth and the maturity of the believers in Colossae. He admits that a great many of them have not seen him face to face, but even so, he's invested in their lives. No doubt he feels that way because this area, which was called the Lycus Valley, had three major cities. Colossae was one, Hierapolis and Laodicea were the other two. And Paul had not spent any time there. And you remember that Paul established a kind of a seminary in Ephesus, and one of his students was a man by the name of Epaphras, and Epaphras had gone to the Lycus Valley, and he had begun churches there. Later in Colossians 4.13, Paul mentions that very thing. He says, of Epaphras, for I bear him witness how he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so it seems Epaphras planted three churches. It may also have been, and we can't say it for certain, but it seems likely that some of the leaders from the church in Colossae would have traveled with Epaphras to actually meet with Paul in Ephesus. And that might have been one of the reasons why Paul was so invested with them. He had met some of them, but he had not met the most of them. But consequently, as a result of meeting with some. Hearing reports, training key leaders, constantly being in prayer, Paul became more and more invested in their lives. Notice he says he's also invested in the church of Laodicea in the same fashion. And Paul describes this investment as a struggle. Indeed, not just a struggle, he says it's a great struggle. And of course that struggle, as we're going to see, is not just a struggle that they should grow in the faith and resist temptation, but also a great struggle against deception, against being deluded. So let's go on to verses 2 and 3, because it's here, in these verses, that we learn the first line of defense against delusion. Paul says his great struggle is that their hearts might be encouraged, or as another translation puts it, that their hearts would be strengthened, being knit together in love. So stop there, because those words require some thought. What is it that happens when our hearts are strengthened? So let's define the heart. In the Bible, the heart is the center of a person's entire being. We might remember the promise of Ezekiel 36, verse 26, which is the promise of conversion. God replaces what is called a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So what's that? Well, in Mark 721 to 23, Jesus says that out of the heart comes sins like evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and so forth. All of these come out of the heart of stone. So that's why we need a heart transplant, and that's conversion. So what's the heart in biblical terms? Well, the answer is that the heart is the control room for every aspect of our humanity. Our emotions, our intellect, our volition, our sexuality. The heart controls all of these functions. And that's why unless we're bored again and receive a new heart, we can't reform ourselves. But believers in Christ have had a heart transplant, and Paul also knows that the hearts of transformed believers need to be strengthened. They need to be made more robust. The heart needs to assert itself over the impulses of the flesh, as well as over the temptations that come from the world. Weak hearts lead to anemic responses against error. And so, says Paul, I've worked tirelessly in a great struggle that your hearts would be encouraged, and then he adds, knit together, that is, with the hearts of other believers in love. That is, you need to feel a bond between those who share the same faith as you do, who are born again and have received the new heart. And what's the purpose of all of that? Well, it's found in the last part of verse 2. Until we all reach the fullness of assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but notice Paul says, not individually, he says, but together, in love with others, to reach riches of understanding and knowledge. That is, by using the word rich, he means deep, full, comprehensive. To be comprehensive in your understanding on the knowledge of Christ. See, Paul thinks that believers who have only a light or a surface level understanding of Christ and his gospel, believers who have never invested the time to learn the reality of the mysteries of Christ and to learn the depths of his saving gospel, those believers who remain gospel-like people, they will also be those people who will be easily subverted and they'll be easily led astray. This is what happens. Now, I've often met supposed believers in Christ who listen to, well, solid Bible teaching, but they're also listening to the teachings of word-faith heretics and others. And the reason they're so susceptible to error, to delusion, is simple. All of their lives, they've never gained anything but a superficial knowledge of Christ. And therefore, they have no defense when they are being tricked and deluded. They simply fall for it.
0: This is Back to the Bible, Bible teaching you can trust. You know, it's amazing how many persons have testified that they were introduced to Back to the Bible as children, listening in the car as they made their way to school, or at home listening on the radio with their parents or even grandparents. Back to the Bible is committed to the sowing of God's word in the hearts of men, women and children, not just in Jamaica, but across the Caribbean and indeed the world. The good news is that you can stand with us in our commitment. Your prayers help prepare the soil, And your donations help us to plant the seed of truth through our varied ministry outlets. And so we ask that you prayerfully consider making a donation to this ministry to help us with our commitment. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give will go a far way in helping us plant the seed of God's word in the hearts of individuals. Donations can be made via online bank transfer or in-bank deposit. Our business checking account is with the Halfway Tree branch of the Bank of Nova Scotia, account number 428310. That's our business checking account number 428310 at the Halfway Tree branch of Scotia Bank checks can be sent to us via mail to Back to the Bible box 123 Kingston 10 Jamaica please make checks payable to Back to the Bible of course you can always come by our office in Hagley Park Plaza to drop off your donation or make your contribution Via our point of sale machine. Now, as we get back to the Bible, here once again is Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld.
1: It was important for the Colossians to reach all the riches of full assurance, not some, not partial, but to plumb every depth of the mystery of Christ. The idea that we can be satisfied with superficialities is appalling to Paul. I mean, after all, he's been struggling with all the energy that God has given him. He's been in a great battle for the believers at Colossae so that all of them might enter into the depths of Christ. And we have to stop there before we go on. See, it's simply not acceptable to leave one's faith at a superficial level. And I'm fully aware that not all God's people are going to be theologians and learn, you know, the original languages of Greek and Hebrew and then understand all the, the nuances of what happens in theological debate. I know that's not for all. But to have been in the faith for some time and not know some of the biblical words like the cross, like redemption, what's meant by grace or ransom or justification or propitiation or the biblical definition of faith, or righteousness of God, or divine forbearance. Look, I don't expect the spiritual novice to understand those words, but I do expect the spiritually mature believer who's been in the Lord for some time to understand all of them and to understand them in depth. If you've been in Christ for many years and don't understand, and it's okay in your mind to keep your faith at a superficial level for a lifetime, that's not only a tragedy, I mean, listen, to have no interest in the depths of the cross. And for Christian teachers, I mean, not to teach that, as happens in some places. I mean, that's part of the great tragedy of our age. I was thinking about a song I had heard recently sung. It went, I'm trading my sickness, I'm trading my pain, I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. And the implication was, when you get saved, you get the joy of the Lord. And when you get the joy of the Lord, you're done with sickness and pain. I mean, it's unadulterated misleading delusional rubbish but there i was in a church and people were raising their hands and they were singing these lies with a great deal of relish and with joy on their faces had none of them read philippians 1:29 that had been granted to them for the sake of christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake had none of them read paul in you know second corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 that he had been so burdened beyond his strength to carry on. Had none of them read 1 Peter 1, verse 7, that it was necessary for believers to be tested with various kinds of suffering. Yes, he even says a wide variety of sufferings. Or had they not read Philippians 3, verse 10, that they were called upon to share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I I suspect they didn't hear Jesus at all when he said that. If anyone come after him, that he or she must deny himself, pick up the cross daily and follow him? Had they not heard Paul and Silas in prison, having been badly beaten and were suffering, and yet they rejoiced, having been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ? I mean, they had heard none of it. And they were quite happy, very happy, to sing that they traded in all the sufferings and in return got the joy of the Lord with the implication that their sufferings were all gone now. That was delusional worship, and I, I wept as I watched that congregation. They started singing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, as if the delusion they had just uttered must be true if they just said it often enough. And one day when they discovered that the sufferings of this age are not gone in this age, they're only gone in the one to come. And when they're called to walk in faith and to walk with Christ in his sufferings, and that there can also be joy and suffering, well, they're going to awaken to the sufferings which will come to them, and some of them are going to conclude that the gospel must have been untrue. Jesus didn't take away all the sufferings in this life. Or even worse, some of them might conclude that if they only had the right kind of faith, then the sufferings of the cross would not have come to them. The delusion only intensifies, goes deeper. See, the riches, the depths, the profound substance of the understanding of the knowledge... And the mystery which is Christ has been traded in for that lightweight ditty about trading in the world's sorrows for Jesus. You know, Forgive my outburst. I'm weary at how easily Christians give themselves to delusions. Notice verse 3 speaks about the riches of the mystery of Christ and the salvation he offers. And Paul adds in verse 3 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge refers to those eternal truths that I'm talking about. Wisdom refers to the ability to apply that knowledge to concrete situations and to apply that knowledge in the best possible manner. Think about how verse 3 is true. In God's mystery, which is the mystery of the cross of Christ, not only is the knowledge of the ways of God made known, it's applied to the salvation of men and women. That is, the cross is both the knowledge of God and His wisdom. Now to verses 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, a plausible argument might also be translated as a persuasive argument. Paul saying, don't trade in demonstrated facts regarding the fullness of the mystery of Christ with erroneous and inaccurate arguments. I mean, those arguments will only be persuasive or plausible If you aren't grounded on a foundation, that will hold. And I need to stop here because, as we can see in verse 4, Paul does not mention the specific argument he has in mind. And for my part, I'm glad he doesn't. I mean, I feel that way because it simply is not possible to name every kind of false teaching that a Christian will face in his or her lifetime. How can one begin to articulate every form of deception? We simply can't. But notice how Paul states matters in verse 4. I say this, he says, that is, I say the things I do, that is the things I said in verses 2 and 3 about the need to have strong hearts and to have them knitted with other believers who also have strong hearts and that one make it the task of a lifetime to reach all the riches of the mystery of God, which is found in Christ and in his cross, to go ever deeper. And I say these things because that's the only defense you have against plausible and misleading arguments. I think it's important. It's important because so many people are relying on other things as a defense against false teaching. I spoke to someone not long ago, and he said of a false teaching, he said, you know, the Lord just told me in my spirit that something was wrong in what was being said. Now look, I'm not denying that God's Spirit can give us warnings, but to rely on inner subjective feelings that we assume to come from God as a way of guarding us, that's not where our confidence is to lie. Don't you assume for a moment that if you're not instructed in the richness of the truth of Christ, comes from the pages of the Bible, that if you lack profound depth, that you have a defense against error at all, Your only defense that you can ever have is to reach full assurance in the riches of the mystery of Christ. And I say this about the riches of Christ and of knowing it, so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments, says Paul. And then to verse 5, although I am absent in body. Translation, for though I can't be there with you personally, and work through all the false teaching that you're facing, so stop here and apply. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great to have the Apostle Paul alive here with us today, running a podcast of some sort, answering every question about every wind of doctrine that's making its way through local churches and correcting all of it. I mean, that would be fantastic. And by the way, I'm deeply encouraged by biblically solid teachers who do some of that work. But go back to verse 5. Although I am absent in body. Yeah, that that's the problem. Now here's the next line. Yet I'm with you in spirit. What does that line mean? For one, at first blush, that doesn't look very reassuring. I mean, look, I was a pastor for many years, and once in a while I would have someone say, look, pastor, I can't actually be there, but I'm with you in spirit. To which I would say, you know, it's really hard to preach to disembodied spirits. You see, the words, I'm with you in spirit, well, they often seem trite and inauthentic. But the context here tells us, that's not how Paul intends these words. Go to Colossians 4, 7-9 and read that Paul is sending Tychicus to Colossae to teach them doctrine and to encourage them. As well, he's also sending someone else, Onesimus. He's going to do the same. And when Paul says, I'm with you in spirit, he means that even though I can't be there, I'm connecting the church with trusted leaders that will help you. And Paul's done the same for us, by the way. Don't you know it? He's left us with 13 of his letters that contain his authoritative teaching so that if we study those letters thoroughly, we do have gifted teachers who can explain those letters as well. It's as if Paul were among us. He's with us in spirit, and that's what Paul means. He's making sure that his spirit is teaching us. And then Paul ends with these words, that he's rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, a firm faith, well, that's like a firm foundation to a building. It's set on something that's solid and immovable. It doesn't shift on a regular basis. A firm faith knows well the foundation of the gospel and maintains it. What of the reference of good order? Well, good order, that refers to discipline. Imagine an army on a day of battle. A disciplined army never acts on their own. They act on orders from their commanders. Christians engaged in battle with false teachers act on the basis not of their opinions, but upon the direction of the apostles. That no one may delude us with fine-sounding arguments, but that we may remain rooted in the truth.
0: Dr. John, what are your thoughts on this? Um, do we need to be more aware of the music we listen to or even sing at church and how it may be diluting or misrepresenting truth?
1: It's so important for us to think about uh, words we sing. I mean, I call on uh, people who are either you know, uh, elders, uh, the lead pastor in a place, uh, given oversight of worship, that we go through everything we sing And we also ask ourselves, what are the doctrines we believe and teach? What does the scripture demand that we teach? How much of that is being sung? So, I mean, there are a lot of issues that we have to deal with here. And yes, we need to think much more seriously and train our pastors to think theologically when we sing.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Back to the Bible. Brought to you by Back to the Bible Broadcast Jamaica, in a partnership with listeners who give in support of this ministry. Our office is located at Shop Number Twenty Two, Hagler Park Plaza, Kingston Ten. Our office hours are from Mondays through to Fridays, from eight thirty a.m. through to four p.m. We can be contacted via email at Back to the Bible Ministry at gmail.com Our office number is 876-926-5765 And our cell and WhatsApp number is 876-337-6295 To listen to this study again or some of our previous studies they are available in our free mobile app Along with other Bible engagement material. Just look for BTTB Jamaica in your App Store. That's BTTB Jamaica. You can also listen from other podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Be sure to look for Back to the Bible Jamaica. And before we go, we have in stock the 2024 edition of Our Daily Bread, available from our office here at Back to the Bible for $500 each. Debit and credit cards are accepted. We invite you to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our series in the book of Colossians, The True Christian, with a message titled Don't Lose what you have gained. That's tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Jamaica, seeking to bring you closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday.